your older brat, older sister, and, uh, and maybe your younger brother who was babied in the situation, you uh, kind of made sure that you played middleman between them, make sure that, that you kept the peace. I am, uh, I guess, uh, the ultimate uh, example of passivity. I don't like when there's chaos. I don't like when there's problems. I don't like when people argue. I am the guy who says, can't we just get along? Can we, pl- can we please just make sure that we do everything right? I am a rule keeper. I love, here's what I love. I love directions to things. When, when I buy something that comes in a big box in a million pieces, the first thing that I look for is that glorious instruction book. I am, I don't know why, I just am that way. And I look forward to reading those directions. I am that guy who plays Monopoly by the rules. I, 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 you know, you don't get any money for free parking. Why? Because it doesn't say to in the directions. You can't, you can't do that. I am the guy who reads, reads the recipe, reads the directions for every recipe you could possibly think of. And I read it three or four times before I even begin to get the food out because I want to make sure that I do it right, that I do it in the right order. I even, like, I've made jello three or four times in the last couple of weeks. I've read the directions every time to making, to making jello. It's just like stick the water in the microwave. I, I, I do that every time. I'm ruthless about it. And I'm kind of, I've kind of moved into like, making my own rules. I'm the guy that goes the speed limit because that's what the speed limit is. And I am in the left lane to make sure everybody else is going the speed limit. Okay, I am the rule maker as well. I'm all, I mean, I'm ultra boring. I've I've never drank. I've never smoked. I've never I've never even seen drugs. Like I've never even seen them, less done them. I I've, I don't have any tattoos, although I really have a cool one that I could do, but it's not appropriate to tell you. So um, uh, so I'm just incredibly. I'm just incredibly boring because I am a rule keeper. Now, my kids, if you know my kids, I have uh, my oldest is three. She's Reagan. She is just like me. She is a rule keeper, right? And so when she does something wrong, as all three-year-olds might do, she will she cowers in fear and she'll stay there and, and she looks up at you with these puppy dog eyes. And any and, of and you say, Reagan, did you do something wrong? Are you ever going to do it again? No. And she'll just kind of cower in fear the whole time. Uh, and and it, she's even become a rule maker herself. The other day, I got out the jug of orange juice out of the fridge, and I just drank it straight up from the jug. And she was standing there watching me do this, and she said, Daddy, you need to get a cup. <laughs> My son, on the other hand, he is a rule breaker, right? This kid... He is the complete opposite. I mean, we probably disciplined him more yesterday than, than Reagan did her entire life. I mean, this kid, when he gets in trouble, it is, I'm going to dart for the door. There is no standing and, and waiting for punishment. It is, what did you do wrong? Nothing, I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, there's, he will never do that. I mean, he will run from any type of discipline. I mean, he tests every boundary there is possible. We believe that Haddon's going to be uh, a pioneer of some kind. And then there's um, then there's Leela, our third one, who I'm pretty sure that we just played a lot of Jimmy Buffett in the house because she's just kind of chill all the time uh, for whatever reason. So we're still waiting on her. She's kind of neutral. Uh, she, she doesn't cry that much, so I'm hoping that she's a, a rule keeper. Now, all of us are one of these. You know, we're just kind of wired this way. Uh, some some examples, you might be, uh, if, if you're a rule keeper, you might have gone into the profession of like, uh, of, you know, 
you might be a policeman or you might be uh, military personnel. You might be a lawyer. Uh, if you're a computer programmer or a teacher, you are a person that enjoys uh, making sure that we go in a systematic fashion, that we keep the rules, that we keep the law. Uh, and that if you're like that, you're just like me. Now, there are examples of rule breakers. Uh, if you are a writer or if you are an entrepreneur or you are an inventor, you, you think completely outside of the box. You want to make sure that, that whatever is the norm, you're going to break the norm. Uh, the worst of this is like weathermen, me- meteorologists. They're going to set the rule and then they're going to break it and say, oh, I'll fix it tomorrow. I mean, that's, a, that's pretty much what you're, what you're doing if you're a meteorologist, which I kind of can't stand these days because they're really annoying me. Um, when it, but when it comes to God and the church, all of us want to be rule keepers. Let me say it again. When it comes to God and the church, every single one of us wants to be a rule keeper. Why? Uh, Because we believe, or at least in our culture has been led to believe, that God is this ultimate rule maker in the sky, and our job is to make sure that we follow the list of rules, that we check them off. And literally what we have done, if you were to ask people on the street, what is Christianity? What is God? What is his job? What is the Bible all about? Well, the Bible is all about a list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts that you should and should not do. And that God is this ultimate kind of uh, Santa up in the sky with his list, checking it once and checking it twice to make sure all of the people on earth are making sure that they're keeping the law correctly. And the reason why we want to keep the law is because if we check off enough stuff on our list, that means that punches our ticket to heaven or the other way around, it keeps us, it literally gives us a out of, let's get out of jail free card if we've done enough stuff to make sure that the religious checklist is taken care of. Let me give you a few examples of what you might grown up in. If you, if you grew up in this, uh, I heard this one earlier this week that you might have, as a kid, you might have memorized certain things. You might have memorized the Apostles' Creed. I think you, you said that the other day. You might, have, you might have memorized the Lord's Prayer, or as you're a child, if you grew up in some, uh, some faith system, you might have uh, memorized certain prayers like a Hail Mary or an Our Father in order to, and you say those prayers in order to uh, rectify your system with God to make sure that you say them enough or check off enough stuff to make sure that you're good with God and you're good in good standing. And then there's other things that you just do confirmation or communion. These are things when you do as child so that you make sure you're going in the right direction to be a rule keeper. Now in, in Baptist circles, we have stuff all the time. When you're a little kid in Sunday school, you get pins or you get patches for your vest or whatever. Uh, you, you get Sunday school pins for a good attendance, or you might serve or do something nice for somebody else. And so therefore you get rewarded with the various checkoff system. And then, and then, uh, you know, we, we do this too. We baptize people. Now you might've been baptized as a child for, I don't know, for, because that's what your parents told you to do, or that's what everybody else was doing, or that's just what you thought happened when you progressed through the system that you should be baptized in order to go to heaven because that's what you're supposed to do. And that's a part of our list. And what this has evolved into in, into churches like ours is we, we might not have literally a list of things. We might not think in that ordeal, but we, we still have this paradigm of God is in the sky and he's checking his list twice and that we are trying to fulfill that list. And some of those things that are on the list now are just simply going to church. 
If I go enough times, uh, then, that, then God will be appeased by that. Or uh, that you making sure that you have your children in church, that they're, that they're a part of Kids at Cane Bay or any other church for that matter, that they're a part of the programs or part of the extracurricular activities. You might want to, you know, it's not really good to, to be a part of the, you know, secular sports programs. It's good for them to be a part of the church sports programs because you want them to be healthy and spiritually fed at the same time. And so this, this is all part of the checklist. And then, and then there's other parts where, you know, we just, we just did the offering time where, um, you know, we, we give because we're supposed to, because if I didn't, I would either feel guilty or something, or you might even go a step further. And there's whole churches and denominations that believe this, that if you give, then God will shower down blessings upon you like a giant vending machine. You just put money into the slot and something will come out of heaven as a blessing for you. That's just not true. That's not who God is. That's just a side note. But this is nothing new. We haven't created this. There is nothing new about this process of a spiritual checklist. In fact, they had this in Jesus' day. So if you have a Bible, unfortunately, it's not going to be on the screen. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, and uh, we'll, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, try to share with the person next to you or something like that. Or you can just listen along. It's only about three or four verses today. But Matthew chapter 5, uh, there are these guys, and he's going to introduce to us for the first time uh, in, in the book of Matthew, these guys called the Pharisees or, and the scribes. And these guys were just like me. They were the chief rule keepers. These guys were pros. They were varsity rule keepers. They lived their life based upon the idea that you should keep the rules. And um, so here's what they would do. Uh, they, would, they would actually make rules to go on top of the rules so that you wouldn't get close to the rules to break them. So, you understand what I'm saying? So, like, they would make something up so that you wouldn't even get close to that boundary line. Let me give an example. Uh, they, one of the laws was is that you couldn't, uh, you couldn't do any type of work on the Sabbath or the Lord's Day. And so they believed that if you stood in front of a mirror and a woman began to groom herself, or even, get this, if she saw a gray hair on her head and began to pluck it out of her head, that that would be considered work and she shouldn't do that and she should be sinning. So here's what they did. They said, you know what? It is illegal to even look in a mirror on the Sabbath day. Wrong. You cannot look at your reflection. So they would make up these rules and they would, uh, they would also, they would do things like this. This is crazy. You couldn't do, uh, you couldn't walk a certain uh, distance on the Sabbath day. So they would make you count your paces and you could, they would literally count how many steps they took in a day. And they knew that about 2000 were too, was too much work. So they would count up to, you know, a hundred, uh, 1099. And then they would have to stop for the entire day because if they took one more, they would be sinning. Um, they would also know that you had to give a percentage of your income, 10% of your income, uh, to the temple. And so they believed that this went over all of life, not just your income. So they would actually uh, tithe out of their spice drawer, take out all of their spices that they might have, and they would take 10% off of the top and make sure that that was given to the temple so that they would be right in front of the Lord. I mean, this is, these guys were incredible pros at making sure that they were rule keepers. And here's the reason why they were doing this. They knew that the Messiah would come one day, and they knew that he was going to congratulate them on making sure that they were keeping all of the rules. Now, here's what's interesting about that, is that when Jesus did come, he got in front of them and began teaching, and they hated him. They hated Jesus. 
They despised him, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you think about it. Who made these laws in the first place? Well, you can go back into the Old Testament and you figure out, well, well, God, God made these rules. I mean, God wrote the Ten Commandments and there's all these other laws that kind of go on top of those. Well, well God did that. Well, isn't Jesus God? Well, yes, Jesus is God. If he's the Messiah, then he's God. Um, well, if the rule keepers didn't get along with God, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And here's the deal. Here's what's interesting. Is why, why did they were the ones who crucified Jesus. They were the ones that put him up for trial that eventually led to his crucifixion. And why did they do this? The reason why they did this is because they called him a rule breaker. That you were literally breaking the law, and so I am going to put you to death. Which doesn't make a How does that work? How does the rule maker break all of the laws? And how, how is it justified that the people who didn't even make the rules are doing the rules and checking off the list? How does that work? What does that say about our list? What does that say about the stuff that we do in our Christian life to make sure that we're okay with God? So we're going to learn this uh, in uh, where Jesus, the good thing is, is Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 17. And we're going, to, we're going to read this in just a second. But let me pray before we begin. Uh, God, I pray uh, that you would just be within this room. Uh, Father, I know that there's distractions with the heat. I know that uh, it could be uncomfortable at times. I'm, Father God, I'm thankful that we get to meet in this place where we're free and privileged uh, to be able to meet freely, uh, to proclaim your name to this community and to this state and to this nation, that we love you dearly. And uh, Father, I pray that we would be able to get past our own uh, just being uncomfortable this morning in the heat, uh, but that we would simply be able to focus in on your word, that this might just be a reminder of how blessed that we are, that we have what we have. Uh, and so, God, I pray that as I read these few verses, that you would that you bless that reading, that we know that it's perfect. We know that it, it has no error within it. And we know that it is complete truth for our life. And I pray that we would all be able to change our hearts according to this word. In your name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So what was Jesus? Was Jesus a, a rule keeper or was Jesus a rule breaker? And there are, several, there are several answers to this question. What was Jesus, literally, we're going to walk with Jesus over the next several months in, in the book of Matthew. What was Jesus here to do? If, imagine if you took that question out onto the street or to the mall and just asked them, do you believe in Jesus? A lot of people would say, yeah, yeah, okay. What was he here to do? And some of the answers you might get was, uh, well, Jesus was here to teach and to preach, as well as he's, he's doing here on the Sermon on the Mount. He is, he is teaching and he is preaching. That's true. What else was Jesus here to do? Well, he was here to heal. That's also true. He healed a lot of people. He healed hundreds of people, even thousands of people. What else was Jesus here? Well, he was, he was presenting who God was. He was showing the power and the authority of God. Yes, that, that is also true. What else was Jesus here to do? He came to show us, most people would say this, he came to show us how to live our life righteously. He came to show us how to live life the right way. I mean, there's tons of people who believe that. Now, all of those are true. But are they misleading in a way? Are they the truth? Are they the main purpose for why Jesus came? Now, let me give you an example. 
Say, take back George Washington. This is another shameless plug for the Independence Day thing, I guess. Uh, in, say George Washington and the, uh, the great crossing, that famous painting of, of uh, George Washington crossing the Delaware River, right? If you were to ask George Washington, why did you cross the Delaware River? Now, somebody funny might say, to get to the other side, right? And crossed it so that he can get over the other side. And, and that would be true. He didn't want to get to the other side, and that's true. The other answer would be, well, the, the troops were just, they were sad, they were weary, they were frustrated, and he crossed the river to give them some success, they, some successful story that they could lean on, that they can, uh, that they, they can call a victory. And that, that would also be true. He did that for that reason for two. But that's not the ultimate truth. The, the ultimate truth is the reason why he crossed the Delaware River in that famous painting was so that he could surprise the British troops so that he could so that he can take them over at Trenton so that because Trenton was a huge strategy to, to win the War of Independence. That is the ultimate reason why he crossed the Delaware River. Now, going back to Jesus, all of this stuff... All of the healing, all of the way of life, all of the showing the power of God, all of the teaching, all of that stuff was true. He absolutely did that. And I don't want to discard that by, by any sense of the imagination. But what was Jesus really here to do? And ultimately, he's going to give us his purpose in this passage. So let's read it. Verse 17. Do not think that I have come. Okay, here it is. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Underline that in your Bible if you've got it. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, here it is. The Pharisees are loving this passage. Jesus says, I have not come to get rid of it. I don't want to abolish it. I don't want to throw it away. And they're like, yes. And then, they, then he says, I want to make sure that it is accomplished. Yes. And they're like... I want to make sure that every dot, every T is crossed, that everything happens, not an iota, not a mark of it, is going to be passed, passed by, that he is going to make sure that it happens. And they're just cheering. And then he gets that, then he gets that verse, um, that verse 19, and he says, uh, you, um, it says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the, and they're like, yes, you never want to relax one of the laws. And he says, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And they're, I mean, they are loving this. I mean, if you're a rule keeper, this is great news for you. And you're just like, well, that's me. I've been doing that. I've been doing that my whole life. I'm, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm with you on this. And, and by scripture, what he means is, is he, he's looking back on the old, uh, the old Testament, the law and the prophets. And, uh, and because here's what, here's what the Pharisees were struggling against. There was whole groups of people that said, you know, that whole law thing, that whole Old Testament thing. Yeah, there's pieces of it that are okay, that sustain our society, and that's a good thing. But there's a lot of it that's just kind of old. And there's a lot of it that we don't really want to follow anymore that it just kind of makes us a little bit nervous and makes us a little bit uncomfortable. And we don't really want to do that anymore. So 
I believe, and here's what they believed. They believed that Jesus was, the Messiah was going to come and he was going to kind of shove it aside. He was going to make something new and say, uh, we're not going to deal with this anymore. We're going to make something completely new. Now, they were at great war with the, with the, uh, with the peacekeepers because they were just like, no, Jesus is going to come. And what he's going to do is he's going to congratulate and redeem and put in power the people who are keeping every ounce of the law. So they were looking. They were looking for a party when the Messiah showed up. They were looking for, you know, I'm going to knight you as one of the knights of the round table of the Messiah because we have kept your law the entire time. So what Jesus says, though, is very interesting. He says, "I have come to fulfill the law." So point, if you're if you're taking notes, point number one: Jesus fulfills the scripture. Jesus fulfills the scripture. He does neither of those things that I talked about. He does, he, what he has come is he's come to complete it. And here's where he's going to get a little bit on the Pharisees' um, bad side. What he's going to say is, your list of stuff that you've been doing is not the point. All that stuff that you've been doing is good things that I've taught, that I have, I've, I've asked you to do as keeping of the law, but what you have done is you've turned your focus on the keeping of the law, not on what the law actually points to. Because what he says is the law, the entire Old Testament, I want you guys to get this. I want to turn brain on right now. The law, the entire, the entire Old Testament, the, the whole book, every single word, its whole purpose is to point to Jesus. The whole thing. Every ounce from the first verse in Genesis all the way to Malachi, all it was doing was pointing forward to the Messiah. All it was doing was pointing forward to Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, saying, we are preparing for you to come. And so what Jesus comes and says, is, is if you focused in on all of the checklist, you missed the point. Now, if you are following the law in expectation of me and carrying out these things so that you can one day proclaim who I am, then you've got it right. But all of these guys said, eh, that's not what we were doing. We were keeping the law so that you would come and you would focus on us. We want you to, we want you to congratulate us. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with us. And so if your expectation is when you go and see God at the end of your life and you say, well, I did all this stuff wrong. Jesus is like, that's not the point. The point is for you to focus on me. For example, thinking through the Old Testament. I mean, the biggest thing about the Old Testament was the Old Testament sacrificial system. The very fact that they would come and for their sins, they would, uh, they would kill and bleed animals at the temple so that the, the blood would symbolically flow over their sins. So every time, here's what's interesting. The, why did God do that? Why did God make them kill and mutilate animals for their sake. And here's why. Because it's brutal. It's nasty. It's violent. And they, he would ask for the best ones. It wasn't just like the ones they wanted to get rid of. He said, give me the best ones. I want you to kill them. And what he says, what he's trying to remind them through from, from the very beginning of that sacrificial system until the very day that he's standing there, he says, when, 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 when you sin, it means death. Sin equals death. Sin, death. Sin, death. Sin, death. For thousands of years, sin equals death. Sin equals blood. Sin equals violence. Sin equals chaos. He wanted them to, rem, he wanted them to be reminded of that on a daily basis. He wanted them to, to realize the weight of their sin, that when something, when something went wrong, when they disobeyed God, something had to die. And so when they put 
that, here's what he wanted them to do. Everything points forward to Jesus. And so when they brought the baby lamb that they loved, that was their best prized possession, when they brought the lamb to be slaughtered at the temple, that the, the priest would cut its throat and blood would pour, what they should have been thinking is not the lamb itself, but the lamb of God who is going to come and cover of, over all of their sin. The whole entire point of the Old Testament is point towards Christ. The idea of the promised land, another example, the idea of the promised land, right before they're about to go into the promised land, Joshua is going to lead them into the promised land. Moses says this to them. He says, he says, get this, God is giving this to you, not because of you. But because of my name and my renown, I am doing this. It's not because you deserved it. In fact, you don't deserve it. I am the one who deserves the promised land. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you. Why? Because I am pointing myself to the, I'm pointing myself to the future. The, the, the nation of Israel, their entire purpose was to make sure that they, uh, they grew and they, they took over that land so that they one, one t- at one point can sustain a throne, sustain a king, so that, that that king could be made Jesus, the king, ultimately. Going all the way back even further, even further, Genesis 3.15. When Adam falls to sin... Man completely blows it. He messes everything up. And in Genesis 3.15, God says this, There will be one who will come that will crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent will bruise his heel. All the way back at the very beginning of your Bible, the first page is pointing towards the Messiah of God. There's not a single iota, there's not a single dot that will not be fulfilled in this. And Jesus is a very good storyteller. Jesus is a very good speaker. Every speaker knows, right? If you've ever given a speech in uh, high school, college, or if you regularly give speeches at your business, when you learn how to give speeches, here's what will happen. They would say, you have to give an introduction, and there's the body of what you're doing, and then there's the conclusion. What is the introduction for? The introduction is to tell the people what you want to tell them, just to kind of introduce it. Say, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And then you go ahead and say what you're going to say, and then at the, and at the very end, you, you basically go back and remind them what you already told them. Jesus knows this. He's a pretty good speaker. So what does Jesus do? The entire Old Testament is to prepare and say, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Here's what's going to happen. The entire, all of the prophets are basically saying, this is what the Messiah is going to do. So what happens? Jesus, I mean, God writes this entire book, says, here's what's going to happen. Then in the Gospels, Jesus comes, does what he's going to do on the cross. And then almost the rest of the, Old, of, the, rest of the New Testament is what? It's telling what just happened. It's a great story. Jesus is a master at this. And he basically says, without apology, this entire story is about me. This whole thing, the entire universe is about me. Now, you, now you're looking at that, and so is his audience at this point, saying, what about us? What, what, I mean, we've been working our whole life. To make sure that we do the stuff that you told us to do. What, what about us? So, the, so in this speech, they're getting pretty puffed up. 
And he says, you know, it says in verse 19, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So they're, they're kind of beating their chest a little bit. They're thinking, oh, this is going to be good. And then he says this in verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds uh, that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Deflation. What? We've been doing all this stuff. So if Christ is the one who fulfills the scriptures, point number two, and I only got two points today. We are the ones who fail the scriptures. We fail the scriptures. What he's telling them is, you've done everything right, but you've missed the point. You have done, you have crossed every I, or you have crossed every T, dotted every I. I knew I was going to mess that up, right? You, you, have, you have done, you've checked off everything on your checklist, but not any of it was for me. Not any of it was focused on me. You've missed the point completely. It's very much like knowing, imagine if you literally studied every single word in the dictionary and you memorized every single word. You, you knew you had the best vocabulary of anybody that has ever lived, but you never learned actually how to make a sentence. You had great knowledge, but you had nothing to do with it. Imagine if you went to Barnes & Noble and you bought every single book on golf that you can think of. And you read every page, you studied, you highlighted, you made notes. You, you knew everything there was to know about the game of golf, but you never actually picked up a club and never swung at a ball. My, uh, <laughs> when I was in high school, I took chemistry. Anybody like chemistry? Anybody like, enjoy? Okay, great. Me neither. Um, but I had, I had this, great, this great teacher. His name was uh, Mr. Newsom. Mr. Newsom was like the best teacher in all of high school. And here's why. It's because he would teach the entire semester. And then when it come to the test, here's what he would do the day before the test. He would have the test in his hands. And he said, okay, we are going to review. Okay, everybody, everybody get ready. We're going to review. And this is what he would do. Every question in order. And he would put the answers on the board. And he would make us pick them directly from the test. That's what he would do. And he was reviewing for us. And then the next day, we had to take the exact same test. He did this every year. Every student, my sister, who's like three years older than me, she told me that this was going to happen. And sure enough, he did this, right? So what does everybody do? During the review, number one, A. Number two, C. Number three, B, right? And all I would do in taking notes for the review is I would just write down the letters that were the right answers to the question. I would memorize the sequence to the answers and I would come in and simply fill out the test and I got a hundred on every single test. It was the only, I, my parents were, I mean, they were, they were astonished that I got an A plus in chemistry. I mean, they freaked out. Like they, my mom thought that I would go into science. All right. So because I did so well in chemistry, I didn't know jack about chemistry. Nothing. Why? Because I got an A plus on every test, but never learned anything about it. I couldn't even tell you what C meant on the carpet, on the periodic table. I have no idea. Because all I did was memorize the answers and fill them in. I don't know how to do chemistry. I love this past week. A guy named Russell Westbrook, if you followed the NBA Finals, uh, he's a, a point guard for um, the Thunder. And he had a great game in game four. He scored 43 points, which is astounding. If you don't know anything about basketball, score 43 points in a finals game is huge. I mean, he was everywhere. He was hitting every shot. They lost the game. And afterwards at a press conference, they said, are you so glad? Congratulations on your great accomplishment. I mean, one of the highest scores in any NBA finals game ever. And he just looked at him and said, why? We lost. It doesn't mean anything. We still lost. 
What Jesus is saying, and he's being sarcastic here in verse 20. He's saying, hey, guess what? Your righteousness, your checklist has to exceed that of the Pharisees. There is no one who does that. There's no one who follows the rules better than them. And he basically says, it has to exceed them. This is a sarcastic statement. He knows that nobody exceeds the Pharisees. He knows that nobody checks off their lifts perfectly like they do. And he basically says, you have to supersede them. And what he's saying over and over and over again, you can do all of this stuff, but unless it is focused on me, it does not matter. And so you can have your checklist, and your checklist is pointless unless it points to Jesus. So practically, here's what this means. Let's talk about your religious checklist. Think about the things that you have done regarding church or regarding God. They might, a lot of it is going to be good things. It might have been memorized prayers. It might have been some kind of, uh, you know, landmark in which you, uh, which, I mean, it could be communion, confirmation, or whatever. It could even be baptism. Why did you do that? Was it a get out of hell free card? Was it a I want to make sure I go to heaven card? Was it because if you didn't, your mom would get mad at you? If you would feel guilty about it if you didn't? That the reason you don't cheat on your wife is because you just feel guilty in front of God, not because you actually love him and love your spouse? What's the motivation behind what you do? Why do you do what you do? Ask yourself, what is the point in all of this? And here's a bigger question. Are you banking on the stuff that you did to pass? Because here's the gospel. Here's the story. Jesus comes He does all this miraculous, wonderful things, lives perfectly, heals people, loves people, teaches us the right way to live. That's all correct. It's all right. But then he does something miraculous and amazing. He, as an innocent man, gets sent to the cross, the most gruesome death our world has ever known, dies in our place for our sin. And what he does is he accepts the wrath of God for us when we deserve to be on the cross, when we deserve to die, when we deserve to handle the penalty for our own sin, Jesus takes it upon himself. And so what we do in response is we just want to do this and don't do this and do this. As long as I do this for God and do this and do this and do this and do this and the cross streams, done. I finished it. I fulfilled it. I'm, it's done. You don't have to focus on any of that stuff except for me. I am the point. And all it is is trusting in Jesus. That's the purpose. So there's two people in this room. There's two people that need to respond to this. The first one is the person that um, you're only here Because it fulfills this desire within you to be a rule follower, to be a rule keeper. Um, Let me tell you that this is a very large mistake. If you feel guilty, if you didn't show up, that you would feel guilty if your kids weren't a part of some kind of church activity, 
that you might have felt guilty or uh, you didn't think that God was going to bless you if you didn't put something in the baskets when they walked around. If the, the entire purpose of you being here is about you, then that's a mistake. And let me admonish you. Please correct what you're focused on from yourself to Jesus and trust him. Is it good to, to, to go to church? Absolutely. I hope that you continue to come. I'm not telling you not to. Is it good to give generously? Absolutely. Please do that. But do it because you love Jesus. Do it because he's the point. Do it because you want to give him glory and not yourself. Do it because you don't think that you're checking off some kind of religious list. And the second person I want to talk to specifically is the person who has done all of these things and you are banking, literally, your eternal life. Whether you are going to go to hell or you are going to go to heaven, you are banking your actions, your deeds, what you have done, and you're hoping that it will level out with God. That you're banking on that. You're banking on what you have done. Even though you know that you've made mistakes, even though that you know that you've made, you've messed up hundreds of times in your life. But for whatever reason, we are willing to bank our eternal destiny on what we have done. Let me tell you this. This is an ultimate mistake. We need to bank on Christ and his righteousness and what he has done. He never made a mistake. He never messed up. He never sinned. He never did anything evil. And yet he died for you. I would bank on that every time. Why would I ever bank on myself? I'll mess up before I even leave this building today. Why would I bank my eternal destiny on stuff that I have done, not on the person who didn't do anything wrong? I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to trust and put my faith in him. And knowing that he is going to stand on my behalf before God and say, he's with me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go with you every time. I'll hook my wagon to your train any day of the week. Please, let me do that. And he will, and he says, please come. Do you trust yourself that much that you think that what you have done is good enough for all of eternity? I hope the answer is no. And if the answer is no, and you just want to know more about who Jesus is and who you, how you can place your trust and faith in him, Please come and see me. Please come and talk to me. Please come and talk to anybody. Talk to anybody about it, please. But don't leave this room, don't leave this church thinking that what you have done is good enough before God. And then those of you who have been kind of doing things out of guilt so that you can just feel good about yourself or feel good about what God is, uh, how God is blessing you or hoping that God will bless you, I, I pray that you'd focus all of that attention onto Christ. So here's what I want to do. I want to, uh, the band's going to come up and here's what I want to do before they begin playing and stuff. I want to just give us a minute to pray because I know that there's, there's just need of some deep repentance in my own heart and in your heart. I know that's true. And so I, whatever, because we, we all mess up in this area, we all do things for the wrong reason. And so I want to make sure that we have just a minute in this worship service to say, God, I want to repent. I need to focus in on who you are and your son, Jesus. So, and then they'll play and we can stand up and sing a little bit. And if you want to come and talk to me, I'd love to speak with you before the end of the day. So let's pray together.
God, I repent of my own sin. Um, There's so many things that I do for this church, that I do for others, that I do uh, for my family. There's so many of those things that I do for the wrong reasons. And God, I want to repent of that. I want to focus in on who you are and what you're doing. I want to focus in on how you want to build this church. I want to focus in on how you want to grow, uh, grow me as a person. I want to focus in on how you want to lead my family, not how I want to lead my family. And Father, these things in my life that are sinful and wrong, I want you to take them from me. I don't think, Father, that I can take care of them. I know that you can. So, Father, I trust you. And God, I pray for our church in this room, folks in this room who are in desperate need to just trust you with their life. Father, that they would not bank their eternal destiny on stuff that they have done. Whatever that stuff might be, whatever is on the checklist, I pray that they would not trust in that. But they would trust wholly in you and want to place their faith in you alone. God, we love you, and I I pray that you would hear us now as we pray and repent. In your name we pray. Amen. Before the band plays, I just want you to bow your head. I just want you to think through that. I know I talked through that whole prayer. So I I want you, before they begin playing, take just a minute and just pour yourself out to God and say, God, what do I need to do? How do I need to repent? I want to get you in the center of my life. Go ahead.